1: You find yourself sheltered in the mercy of God. So how are you to live? What is that to look like in your life? Well, stick around. Find out next on Truth For Today. Hi there. Welcome. This is Truth For Today. Pastor Phil Howard takes us back to Romans, chapter 12, verses 9 through 13. How the people of mercy are to live. The Apostle Paul has some specific ideas, and he lays them out for us here in the passage before us. Take the time to join us today. If you ever wondered what your life is to look like in light of mercy, well, this program's designed just for you. Here's Pastor Phil Howard with today's broadcast of truth for today
2: now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and uh, i want to deal with uh, an overview of where we've been in the book highlighted but answer this question what is there about the gospel that establishes people what establishes them and uh I think being in pastoral ministry, there's sometimes as many unsettled people in the church as out of it. Some people that you never get the sense they're established. They, they've got deep roots. Or uh, uh, We used to sing a song, I shall not be moved. You've got this feeling nothing makes them waver. And uh, it's quite interesting what uh, Paul says here. He's convinced That the gospel he has preached and explained in Romans will establish you for every season of life. Death, loss of goods, loss of relationships. No matter what, the gospel will establish you. And uh, I believe, it's my belief and understanding that Romans is the exposition of what the gospel is. 1 uh, Corinthians 15 gives us three facts about the gospel. Christ died for our sins, was buried, rose again, and then he was seen of many witnesses. And some, I think, and as I've seen it, have grown up with that formula, that's the gospel. No, that, that's in a capsule. He calls it the gospel, but unless you unpack it, unless you... Uh, What are the implications of it? And Romans just unleashes it. I often think of uh, some formulas for being saved. They're kind of like the combination to the safety deposit box, but they're not the treasure. Uh, We're not saved by formulas. We're saved by a person. And there's certain facts that are revealed to us that lead us to a person, but unless you can know the facts and never get the person. I mean, how many of you knew the facts of the gospel because you grew up in the church, but were not a Christian for years? Did you ever just know the facts? Christ came, son of God, died, buried. Sure, we knew facts, but that doesn't put you in the family. Because what the gospel, ultimately its goal is, is to give you God, not a formula. It wants to give you the object you believe in, Jesus Christ. And so, I want to look at uh, three things today as we wrap up. Basically, verses 25 to 27. What is it about the gospel that establishes you? And I'm going to review what he has said. I'm not going to go into detail because I've been detailing for two years. And then, I'm going to... uh, try to just address the issue what was mysterious about the gospel he said it was a mystery uh what was mysterious about it and finally uh the uh, maybe most obvious answer who in the world is the gospel for is it for angels is it for demons or is it for uh self-righteous people who did he intend it for um let's just take the journey okay um What is it about the gospel that establishes people? All world religions, if you ever read C.S. Lewis, The Abolition of Man, the index he has there, he goes to world religions and lists their ethical system. And you'll be amazed that apart from the Ten Commandments in Judaism... Uh, you'll have ethical systems in many cultures that say, don't kill, uh, don't commit adultery, uh, don't steal. Ethics, ethics abound in world religion. The ought to's how we ought to behave. But what sets Christianity apart is not its ethics. It's how to be right with God. And it addresses the issue of our sins That no matter what ethical system you belong to, you fail to keep it. Whether you're in Judaism, whether you're in Islam, whether you're in Christianity, none of us here have kept all the rules we say are right. We have broken many of them, if not all of them. And when we're really honest, uh, there's no ethical system that we'd get an A on. And James says, if you offend in one part, you're guilty of all. So God's got us. We're guilty. But Christianity deals with this issue. And it's, uh, it says it wants to deal with our sins. And so what it does, look in one sixteen. The theme of the book is one sixteen of Romans. Turn there. It's way back from where we've been. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because in this gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Now, it doesn't save you from drowning in a swimming pool. The word salvation is the Hebrew word has the idea of salome, uh, well-being, deliverance, uh. And so he says, this gospel is God's means of delivering everyone who believes. Delivering us from what? Delivering us from our state of sinners. Because every religion as a whole has some system of atonement. Okay, I blew it. How can I still approach this God? I know he's angry. I know he's not pleased with me. How do you get back? And so they got offerings to the gods, lambs, bullocks, on and on. And so he says, in the gospel is God's power that brings us salvation, deliverance from our sins. And it's offered to everyone who believes. And it started with the Jew first, and then it extended to the Gentile world. Now, what's in the gospel? A righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is from faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. This is radical. How can I be right with God? Uh, by bringing a sacrifice? No. By keeping the Ten Commandments? No. The righteousness that God has comes to us in the gospel. And the gospel is good news about Christ. And it's not good news about you. You're a sinner. You need good news. The good news is that Christ has done something about what's wrong with you. And what Christ has done, he has borne God's wrath against you. Verse 18, 118 says that God is angry with what's going on in the world. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men. So we've got this angry God. Now, there's nothing that offends modern man more than the idea that God could be angry or that God has wrath because that is not a sophisticated, that's kind of a hangover from a barbaric. Who are you to say God's angry? God's love. God's loving. And, the, and see, what many people that seek God, they seek a God they invent. They invent this teddy bear God that uh, is only loving, uh, is cuddly, and understanding, but could never be angry, could never have a holy wrath. But a God you invent will not be a God that can save you. The God you invent cannot save, only the God of the Bible. So it, you may not like this part about him, but you've got to accept this part about him if you're ever going to find out about his love. So people invent all kinds of gods, all kinds of concepts. This God cannot be angry, but the gospel says God is angry, angry enough to uh, uh, implement death on somebody. And so the gospel says, I am a sinner, a great sinner the gospel says, I need a righteousness, not my own, says I have none. And he says in the gospel, God is offering us a righteousness, a right standing with God totally as a gift. Now, th- this will establish you. Other words, if I were to put faith in Christ, I would get this righteousness. It's not my own. Uh, it's good for all time. And, uh, I can't lose it because I never did earn it. If you earn it, you can lose it. How do you get it? By being good or by trusting Christ? You need to know that going in. You never did earn it to start with. God looks down and he sees all the clean folks and these are the ones he wants. Now you find out he has saved some of the biggest rascals on the planet, right? Right? And so in this gospel, he goes on to say that uh, God was willing in chapter 3 to sacrifice his son to satisfy his own wrath against us. That he does this great deal of indicting all of our sins. And then he comes to chapter 3. And in verse 21, he said, there's a righteousness from God that does not come by law keeping. And this was right to the Jews who said, if I keep the Torah, if I can keep Sabbath, if I can obey Moses, I will guarantee myself a place. And he said, no, no, I've just told you, we've all blown it, Jew and Gentile alike. What God has done, he's entered in the human race in the person of Christ and Christ himself will be the only thing that can satisfy God's anger against us. And he does that by the sacrifice of himself. And, and this is beautifully fits in, I think, with probably Judaism's maybe favorite story, uh, the willingness of Abraham to offer Isaac. Go up to Mount Moriah, put your son on the altar... Raise the knife and he gets ready to do it. And in his heart, according to the Bible, Abraham already plunged the knife. He was going to do whatever God said. And what happens right in the middle of it, God steps in. No, 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 don't do it. There's a sacrifice caught in the thicket. Abraham declares, Yahweh, Jireh. This God provides. And the dad escaped What God would not allow himself to escape. So that he will say, I will not spare my son like I let Abraham spare Isaac. And you go right through the Old Testament. The height of Israel's idolatry in the book of Jeremiah was this. This was the height of their idolatry. They were offering their firstborn sons to Moloch. And Jeremiah the prophet is weeping and says, how can we do this? And he says something, you're offering your sons to another idol, something that never entered my mind as God to ask you to do for me. Think of that. God never has asked for any of you to give up your firstborn son to be saved. But it's exactly what God did. He gave up his firstborn for us, but he would never ask you to do it. So what Abraham was able to escape, God the Father says, I won't spare my son. I'll carry through. So the gospel says, the price has been paid by one greater than myself, uh, one that went beyond any love I could ever show. And he went ahead and poured out His wrath on him. Well, as it goes along, it says the gift is received solely by faith in chapter 4. Chapter 5 says that when you receive this gospel, God gives you three big things. He names many there, but you get peace with God, you get joy in every circumstance of life, you get hope, and then he says he will pour out his love his love for you so that one of the experiences of us who are saved in our worst moments on our worst days there's something that haunts us about God we can feel loved in the midst of our greatest failings because he said he has gushed the love of God abroad in our heart Romans 5 5 and as we shared this is not your love for God this is God's love for you that is the amazing thing. Do you think you love God very much? How can it be that people cool off about God? Why is they get cranky? They don't want to pray. They don't want to read the Bible. And some days, you know, the only way you're going to be victorious is just stay in bed. I mean, you're cranky as soon as you open your eyes. She hasn't done anything yet. That one woman, she went down to the lobby and they said... Uh, did you wake up cranky yet? She said, no, I let him sleep in. Uh, you know, some of you are just, you're just cranky by personality. You're, you're down. And there's some days, you gotta be honest, you're not loving God or your neighbor. No, 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 no. We're all like yo-yos, up and down, up and down. But what is assuring about this salvation is God's love is not a thermometer, and it doesn't go up and down. He said, I'm gonna gush my love abroad in your heart so that on your worst day, and of all things, this is what's really hard on you, in the midst of your own sin, sometimes I'll overwhelm you and remind you I love you still. This comes with our salvation. God never wants you to get over the fact He's chosen to love you deeply in Christ. It's here all the time. In spite of whether you gave in the offering or not today. If some of you want to make up for it, we'll meet you in the back here. Uh, In spite of uh, what your week was like. In spite of how you treated husband, wife, kids, cats, dogs. No, the love of God is a part of our salvation. And that may not mean much to you. But people who have never been loved... People who have been abused much of their life. People who have been slaves. People who have been sex slaves. People who have been this and that. To all of a sudden find out the gospel says you're loved. Not for what you did for God. Not for your good works. You're loved because God loves The whole explanation for God loving you is in himself. And we just scratch and crawl to find, we gotta find one reason why God loves me more than that person. And that's what the religionists can do. Well, there's a reason God chose me. Well, I wanna say he was desperate. He didn't need you. There's no merit in any of us. You're no more worthy of what you're getting from God than the man who has never been touched by God's love. What is it? What is it? You've got to go back to God. God, it's in you to love me? How could you find? Surely I did something you liked. And he says, no, it's in it myself. And I've gushed it abroad in your heart because I never want you to forget how deeply I love you and that I accept you in the gospel. The gospel gives you acceptance with God. Not your behavior. You're trusting Christ. He goes on in chapter 5 that says in the gospel, you're forever represented now by Christ. As Adam represented me, I'm now represented by Christ. Everything in heaven that concerns my future and my sins is represented by Jesus Christ. I don't get to represent myself. And God has appointed Christ as my representative. Chapter six says I've been forever united to Christ. And that's why I no longer practice sin. I'm in union with someone that's always there. Sin remains in me, but it no longer reigns over me. So uh, it no longer reigns over me, remains in me. Uh, it's what, yeah, I, I heard a message this week on David and Bathsheba. And uh, what was scary about the message, that the first point the preacher made, he says, one thing you want to know about the story of David and Bathsheba, the first thing you've got to admit is the seeds of this kind of sin is in the bosom of every one of us. If David, a man of God, who wrote the majority of hymns for the congregation of Israel, And a man after God's own heart, if he can do that kind of sin, so can you. The seeds are there. You're plenty capable. And the moment you say you're not, you're on your way to doing it. Because pride always precedes a fall. Pride precedes falling. Take heed lest you also fall. And that's what he says in Israel's failing. And he tells the Corinthian church, don't get all pompous against Israel's failure in the wilderness because the same thing's happening among you. Let them warn us. And so you find out we're united with Christ. And in that union, he says in chapter 7, we're free from legal obligation. The Christian life is not keeping rules. It's enjoying Christ. It is not keeping rules. If you think that's what Christianity is, is we've got this list every day. We consult 18 things I have to do today. No, 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 no. I, I wake up each day. I get to enjoy God. All obligations have been met. Have you ever paid off a note? Have you ever paid off a debt? What's really bad, if it was a friend or a family member, but there is a liberty when you make that final payment. All right, I'm free. We can have a relationship now, not because I owe you money. That's what's don't usually, if you can't, don't borrow money from people you like to continue the relationship with. That's why it's easier to deal with a banker you don't like anyway. Because, you know, family, you're stuck with them. But It's real good the interest they give you. It's real good. But it's wonderful to have a relationship with someone you feel all obligations have been met. And when you meet with God, when you want to pray, do you come in there? God, I I know the debt's out. I've been meaning to pay you. I want to get better. I want to, instead, he says, come boldly. He says, Lord, I'm so glad the debt's paid. I'm your son. Hello. He says, come boldly. Come boldly. No shame. Don't come groveling. That would be an insult to the cross for you to grovel into the presence of God. I come boldly because I come on the basis of a new and living way. The blood of Christ that opened up the curtains of heaven. I've got access. I'm a son, not a debtor. And you must know that. You're not a debtor. You're a son. And so you come with boldness and we all are aware of our... Why did we need Christ? Because everything was all right? Why no? Just cash in on it. Cash in on it. I had a friend of mine one time tell me, said, boy, don't you find sometimes when you come to prayer, you just feel so unworthy and, and, and you this and that. And, and, there, and, and then I, I just, in the moment, I just used a non... Not a good... Well, it wasn't too bad. You've heard me before. But I, oh... Get over it. Get get in there and claim everything he died for. You ought to get on your knees. You ought to put an empty cross somewhere. When the devil's accusing you, just say, Hey, devil, there's where my sins are. Go talk to him. I'm free. Are you? This is why it establishes you.
1: Working our way through Romans, this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. We trust today's broadcast has been enlightening, and especially as we see our desperate need for the gospel. As we conclude our time together today, we would invite you to contact us if you have questions, comments about the broadcast. Maybe you have a question about your own walk and relationship with the Lord, or a prayer request. We'd love to hear from you. Please get in touch with us today.